everybody, and welcome to the Money Talks News Podcast. This episode, we're talking about making a little extra money on the side, or maybe a lot of extra money on the side. Side hustles, they're increasingly a part of life, even if you're just trying to survive. In 2022, 45% of Americans said they had a side hustle, with an average monthly income of $483. While that might not seem like much, it's possible to use your side hustle as the basis for building financial freedom. And today, we're going to meet someone who did just that. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquit. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Very excited. Listen, Fun topic for the new year. I know. I'm excited, too. This is my first podcast of 2023. I'm very excited to be here. Listening and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hello, Aaron. Hope we get into some, to some diagonal side hustles, too. No, not just side hustles. We want, we want hustles that move like a, like, like a knight. Two up and one uh-huh. over. Yeah. Okay. And then also, we're, we're already we're already going way off course. Uh, we are, today our guest is Tom Brickman, aka the Frugal Gay. Hi, Tom. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Now, Tom, here's what I've got written about you: You sold lipstick at bras on eBay, used the money to buy rental properties, and retired from your traditional job at age 39. Is all that true? That is 100% accurate. Yes, and I it, still in, do. In, in that case. We are going to make you tell us exactly how you did it and how anyone out there can use a side hustle to boost their future future financial prospects. Before we start, guys, remember this is not financial advice we're offering here. So make sure you do your own research before you do anything. Consult your own experts and take take charge of your own gosh darn money. Okay, let's dive in, guys. Uh, first, of, I, I have so many questions, Tom. I really don't even know where to begin. But give us an idea, a brief, brief background. How did sure. you get here today? Um, so I am 40 years old. I live in Dallas, Texas, and I started side hustling during college out of necessity to pay for books. I um, was coming up short on books, so I bought a shopping cart full of purses that were $1.50 a piece. This was back when eBay didn't even have Buy It Now at the time. <laughs> and I listed those purses two at a time. I had two colors and would sell them for those dollar fifty purses for about sixty dollars, seventy dollars a piece, and that paid for the books for the semester and helped me get through. So I started out of necessity because I had to figure it out. I was already working full time. I worked at the Gap all through college. They did tuition reimbursement, so I was able to go debt free, and that was the beginnings of the eBay adventures. Now, is this what you do for a living now? part-time yes and i have 21 rental properties that i collect rent from wow so i have ebay is not my full-time income it has just helped me produce my full-time income you know what let me take a second and go backwards here because i just read the uh intro which which you wrote right miranda uh, yes and it, it says 45 <laughs> percent of americans said they had a side hustle really 45% of Americans have a side hustle. I find that difficult to believe. Do you that's, think do you think that that's what the source true, says? Really? <laughs> that that seems like a, that seems like a high number to me. What what do you think, Tom or Aaron? Do I, you guys think that that's high? I believe it. I believe it because whenever I meet people, you know, it's kind of what's your side hustle is part of that conversation a lot of times. And I mean, I have friends that are walking dogs, I have friends that are making cookies, I have friends that do all kinds of different side hustles without even calling it a side hustle. Yeah, and right. you know, by the way, th- this is something I, I I don't you don't know me, Tom, but I, I did television news for thirty years. Aaron Aaron was my photographer, um, not for all thirty years. You can tell by looking at him. But uh, anyway, I did the story. I called it retail arbitrage, and that's really what you're talking about, right? 
and, and arbitrage, for those of you who are uninitiated, uh, this is a term that is used in the stock market, and this is my background, uh, but it, it means buying something on one in one venue and selling it in another. Uh, and this happens in the, in the stock business, but it also happens in the retail business. You buy something in, in one venue, like uh, a store, maybe, and then you sell it on eBay, which is, I guess, what you're doing, right, Tom? Yes, absolutely. And and hopefully you're buying it for at one price on in the store and selling it for much more. Now, now, let, now let's go back to your example. Um, Dollar fifty, you said for purses. Yes. And sold for sixty. Now, the, what kind of purse sells for sixty bucks? It costs a dollar fifty. Where do you find it? I was at a closeout store in Cleveland, Ohio, called Gabriel Brothers. They're still around, um, and it's kind of like a TJ Maxx or a Ross type store. And they had this shopping cart sitting right next to the register. And I said to the cashier, are these really $1.50? And she said yes. And I think that the diesel price was $89 or $99. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to take... And I pushed the whole cart up to the register and checked out for them. So these were a great name brand. They were popular. I'm assuming, I believe that they had Nordstrom or um, Neiman Marcus stickers on them. And... uh, they could not get rid of them in Cleveland, Ohio, but the people all over the country who were buying them from me still wanted them. That's really interesting. And, and you know, uh, what, one of the things, when we did this story, the last time I did it, uh, I found something, that, what, I, what I was doing to, what I was uh, exploiting, uh, as an example, at least for the news story, was um, buying something locally on Craigslist and then selling it nationally on eBay. So in other words, somebody's got some antique, as a matter of fact, this is specifically what we used. Uh, an antique gumball machine, uh, and here it was 100 bucks in Fort Lauderdale where I live, but it was worth $300 on eBay because, you know, there's a much larger audience. And so, you know, that, that, so that I guess would be like geog- geographical um, arbitrage, you know. But there's, now, but here's my next question. This was 10 years ago I did this story probably, and I've did, I did one before that. I mean, you know, th- it was a pretty common thing. Now, what, what makes arbitrage work is inefficiencies in a market. Uh, it, so if everybody knows what the price is in Chicago and in New York, then you can't buy something in Chicago and sell it in New York. I would think, though, Tom, that the the number of people who've been drawn into this retail arbitrage would start closing the gap in the prices. In other words, there's so many people doing this because everybody's read, I mean, seen stories like I did several times and like you've probably told a million times that that it would make this arbitrage opportunity go away. Obviously, that is not the case. Why isn't it? Um, I've stuck with what works for me, and I started with that purse, and I have stuck with bras and purses and makeup because I can get them inexpensive. And what a lot of the crowd is doing is what I tend to do the opposite of. So when they're buying the Legos and the sneakers, I'm buying the discontinued scents and the makeup that the manufacturer is going to stop making. So I've spread mine out and just looked at what everyone else is not doing. And I did the same with real estate, too. I always bought what the investors were ignoring. Cool. Yeah. But now, and now, let me ask one more question. And you guys jump in, too, anytime you want, Miranda and Aaron. But one, go ahead. You were going to say something, Miranda. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, I, what I want to know more about is, like, how you, like, because when you do these kinds of side hustles, you want a goal, right? And so your goal was to build up enough money to start buying rental properties. And so, um, you know, and that sometimes comes with pitfalls as well. So I want to know, like, how did you avoid some of those pitfalls, including, you know, the the tough learning experience of buying a crack house on eBay? Because because you just weren't because you weren't only selling things on eBay. You actually bought a house on eBay 
And so how did you uh, decide that you were going to use your site? Like, did you build up your side hustle money to say, like, now I'm going to use this to put a down payment? Like, how did how is that process and that goal um, that you made? How did that work? It was always I have to figure out how to I, I wasn't doing down payments. I was doing cash properties. I bought properties in okay. 2004 and 2005. And it was like when I went to go buy a property in 2009, I was traumatized by that um, underwriter. And they're they're questioning, why are you spending this money at the 99 cent store? So when I went in 2010 to buy the next property, I'm like, I need to figure out how I can buy this in cash. And that was obviously at the bottom of the market. And there were lots of opportunities that investors ignored these $10,000, $15,000 condos. So my goal was 10 or 15 or 20. I think the most expensive condo I bought during that period was 37000 So I just, that was the goal. I did have some duds along the way. I had stuff that would expire along the way, like deodorants expire. And I just learned real quick, either one, to pass it off to another reseller and sell it at a loss, two, donate it, or three, bundle it and do kind of like a, I do this a couple times a year with stuff. If I've had it for too long, I'll fill up a large flat rate box, sell it for 50 bucks, get it out of my house, get it out of my inventory and move on. Because there were duds. There was times where I bought, you know, stuff that I'm like, oh, this is going to hit. This is great. And then I couldn't move it at all. And that's part of it. But I'm looking at such inexpensive items like the bras were $2 bras and the makeup. <laughs> I was just shipping out makeup yesterday and we paid 10 cents for 10, 10 cents a piece when we bought the these lip liners that I was shipping out. So when I have a dud and I have 100 pieces of makeup that I can't move and I paid 10 cents for them, it's a much easier pill to swallow. I never ran myself into debt buying any of my inventory. It was always um, I buy as much as I can conservatively and now, let, what let can me, I make that let me interject here something too tom that you know i i know i feel like i know you because i listened to you on the air before um and, and i'm sure a lot of people out there are listening to this right now and they're going like wait a minute frugal gay and women's accessories these are not related <laughs> right i mean you happen to have a background in, in women's accessories because you worked at the gap right I did. So you saw that sells better and people are like, well, why didn't you do the men's stuff? And I can make a lot more selling 10 bras to the same person because the man is going to come and buy one pair of jeans from me and then I'll see him again in five years when the jeans rip holes in them. So I just learned really quick early on working at The Gap that this is what sells. These are the decision makers. There's a lot of money here that often gets overlooked. But just from my sales and even when I do sell men's products, they sit a lot longer than the women's products do to turn over. Do you, so you developed an expertise. So you you know a bargain when you see one in the in this category that you've chosen to to use, right? T typically, yes. So like last week, I was buying Jessica Simpson sweaters for two bucks, and and you know those will not sell again until next holiday. But I'm buying them at two dollars now because I know I can turn it into twenty or twenty five in November or December. So if we want to do this, and this is the way I often approach these kind of conversations, Tom, I want you to turn me in to somebody that can do what you're doing. Um, so what what advice would you give me? Would you say, like, for example, you need to develop an expertise in something so you see a bargain when you know what you, you when you see a bargain, you know, it's a bargain, right? Correct. And I, I think the key here is patient for me, because there are people who can flip the stuff much quicker with a much smaller profit margin. For me, profit or patience is profitable, 
And like when I did a Bath and Body Works order on their semi-annual sale, I know that I'm not going to sell that product again for another year because all the resellers are going to be out there having it right now. And I know if I hold it for long enough that they're going to work through their product just like I did. Like I bought these colognes last year and then I sold them this year for Christmas and I was selling them for, I bought them for $11 and I was selling them for about 100 to 150 So, wow. you know. Yeah, there's there's opportunities out there, and if you just go with the rest of the flow and you list them, you can turn that eleven dollars into a forty dollar perfume. But what I tend to do is cycle through it a little bit slower, but with a much higher um, profit margin. Okay, so now, what's the most money you've ever made in a year from arbitrage like this retail um, arbitrage? Forty-eight like to fifty thousand. Okay, on, on doing that. That's good. I mean, I, I ask really personal questions because I'm sure that's what people are thinking. They're listening to this. They want to know how much money they can make. And also, one of the things I think about, too, is you've got to send this stuff to people. You're sending your know, one I bottle know, of perfume to somebody in the mail, right? I know. So you've got, this is yeah, like, you've got all your butt to the post office and, and mail that stuff off. Like, where are you storing all this stuff? Where You know, how, you, I'm how sitting, you organizing it? I'm sitting in my eBay room, which is why I do my interviews like this. So I'm actually in the eBay room. And then anything that I can't fit in the two-car garage, I can't source and buy. So I have all of it self-storage and that in my own home, and that helps me cut down on storage fees and excess. Wow. Wow. That's cool. But is it a pain? And also, here's another question. Do you lose money on some stuff? Do you make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I bought a a pallet of toys that I thought was a home run, and um, the toys did not sell like I anticipated. So those were sold off as, as a loss. There were also times where I'll buy too much of something and I can move a certain percentage and then I'll have to sell it off to wholesalers. Uh, I'm very centrally located in Dallas, so I have wholesalers that will buy from me and take it out to the flea market. And then I've formed relationships with them. So when they have too much product, they can say, hey, do you want this? And it's brought me some really great deals over the years as well. Do you look for collectibles ever or do you just stay in the categories that you've discussed already? I, I, someone asked me this just yesterday and I said, if I can find something at the right price, I will absolutely sell it. Um, but I never set out to look for collectibles, but if I found the right product, like I, I sold a hundred dollar nail polish recently and you would never think that someone would pay a hundred dollars for a nail polish, but it was a super rare old nail polish that was never publicly sold. And this company is now defunct. So I... I will sell anything that I can make money on, but I never set out to look for collectibles. You're, you're doing a lot of research. When you first started out on eBay, like back in the day, and I've sold a few things on there, uh, I mean, the fees and shipping costs, you know, the fees on eBay and the shipping costs and stuff was, was a lot less. I mean, now they've radically changed all but this. But you're charging the person so buying it the shipping, like, right? Yeah, uh, not always. So do you have like a, uh, like a price point in which you say, if I can't sell it past this point, it's no good to me? I don't touch anything that I can't profit $10 from is my rule of thumb. So if I know that I can make $10 profit on it after all the eBay fees and the shipping fees, then I'm all in. But if I can't make $10, it's usually something I don't want to mess with. Miranda, have you done this before? I bet you have. Um, I have done a little bit of it before. Uh, as as we know, I am like the world's laziest person, and so like, well, okay, that's <laughs> not true. But I, I, yeah, I have done it before. Um, but it is not my favorite thing. Uh, so uh, just because it does take, um, you know, you you have to, you know, be on the the hunt for the deals. You have to be able to like buy them in bulk, and then you have to sit down and you have to send them out, and then you have to deal with people who might complain 
or, you know, all of this other stuff. Like you have to deal with customer service complaints when they get the item. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I have dabbled in it, but it's just, it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of effort. You know, when I hear people like you, <laughs> Tom, yeah. talking about this, or I, I see people selling courses on it, they make it seem like it's really easy. And my, I'm always suspicious when I hear, you know, something like, well, same thing, like I said, I'm a stock guy, you know, so, so oh, I, I've got a system, make 25% every year in the stock market. Well, I just think you're a liar or a fool, you know. I, I don't think that's as, as easy as that. If, when I hear people talk about this, I hear the same thing. It's really easy. Is it easy? I think that there is a fake course sold out there to make it seem like it's easy. But in my opinion, no. Just like Miranda just said, there's customer service. There's lots of different issues that come with it. You have damaged product. You have stuff that expired because it sat for too long. You have stuff that melted by the time it arrived to the customer. So I think that okay. there are versions of that. And then there are, you know, you can send this off and sell it on Amazon and they can fulfill the order. But then you're also subject to Amazon's return policy. And like I had a friend who... She spent $50 on these advent calendars and she was selling them for 70 or 80. And then she gets a return on one of them because they didn't like the prizes inside the advent calendar. And now she's just lost $50 on one sale because Amazon makes you take it back. So I think that there are um, definitely ways to make it easier. I prefer the higher markup and fulfilling the orders myself. And that's why I have kept it in-house and I touch all my products, but... There are ways to do it. I just have never done it the easy way. And that's kind of been my thing as well all along. Okay, then in that, in that case, I'm going to ask you one question, but I don't want you to answer yet. Here's the question. If I want to make extra money on the side, is this something you would recommend I do? Don't answer yet. I'll tell you why, because we're going to take a break first, and then you guys are going to have to wait through our little break before you find out whether Tom actually recommends you do this or not. We will be right back. And here we are back again. So, Tom, give me your one-word answer. Should I do this if I want to make some extra money on the side, or are there other way, things I should explore first? My one-word answer is I yes. Guess, I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess I, you can't really answer one word is what I ask you, but your one-word um, answer is yes, I should do that. Uh, but there's a ton of different ways, and it depends on what you want the outcome to be. I worked with someone this summer, and they had a goal of making $1,000 for Christmas gifts. And when he went and bought $280 worth of toys on clearance at Walmart, by the week before Christmas, he had sold them all and he had made his $1,000 goal. So that was his goal with that purchase and that $280 investment. So it depends on your goal. And, you know, if you can't stand shopping, then I certainly wouldn't send you to do arbitrage at certain stores. And that maybe you prefer the dog walking or the baking or the multiple other ways to generate income. Let me wave my hands in the air right there. I hate shopping. And <laughs> I'm actually not a fan I, of dog walking either. <laughs> So I know you can do this on that, on eBay, and I know you can do this on Amazon. You said you're in a store. What are other? Can you do this on Walmart? Because I know that they're trying to be like a an Amazon. They, I don't know anyone that currently is doing it, but yes, they allow third party vendors oh, to sell on Walmart. Yes. Uh huh. Is there, are there any other sites that could do this right now? Um, beyond Amazon, I mean, there's multiple different um, Poshmark. I mean, there's so many different, and then you can also do it locally, which I do on certain products. Like if I can get a great deal on a big product that I know I don't want to ship, I'll sell it on OfferUp. I'll sell it on Five Miles. I'll sell it on Facebook Marketplace. So there's a ton of different options for selling it. It's just where are you comfortable and what are you hoping to do with it? And again, there's certain products that I think are a great deal and I don't want to ship because it could break or this or that. So I'll do one of those local ones in that case. 
Oh, you know, Tom, I heard you uh, on a podcast, uh, and I want to make sure we get this out to our audience too. Uh, it was a tip. The, the question was, how do you know whether something's going to sell on eBay when you're walking through a store? And you said there's an app that'll tell you, you could just scan the barcode and it'll tell you what it's selling for on eBay, right? Is that what I heard you say? Yes. So um, that is actually the eBay app and the Amazon app will also allow you to scan and it'll tell you if you can actually sell it on Amazon. Um, you have to filter it to check out the sold items because if it's listed on eBay, that's great. But if it's not actually selling on eBay, that's the big answer. You can get a great deal on an item, but if nobody wants to buy it, then it's not a great deal. So um, okay. it's just the eBay app and it's not a special seller's app or anything like that. And you can scan and you're not scanning like the TJ Maxx or the Ross barcode. You're scanning the actual manufacturer barcode and some people get caught up on that as well. Okay. Uh, speaking of those stores, is that where you go to look for bargains? I, I know because you said you bought hundreds of things and you said you did that with the shopping cart, but do you ever go to like these wholesale places or something where you buy a whole pallet of something? I have. And with those, a lot of times you're the third or the fourth person that that's being sold off to. So I love to get in where that manufacturer like Nike or whoever is donating it to someone and then buy it directly from who they're donating it to. How so it's not cherry that? picked. Like what? what um, give me an example of what, you know something like that. Where you? Where were you? Where are you? You're getting in your car. You're going somewhere. Where are you going to buy this? So there's wholesalers all around, and DFW is a great area where there's a lot of different um, companies that donate products, and those charities who get the products sell those products off to keep their business operating. And oh, um, okay, charities. I see. Yeah. So charities get it. So when people are like, I have an, a, a deal with Amazon, and I'm getting it from Amazon. That's not true. Amazon's actually donating some of it off. Whoever they donate it to is selling it off to the wholesaler. And that's also why I feel confident with my product because I can source exactly where it came from. So that that's a question like, how do you know that you're not buying stolen products if you're buying oh, from yeah. a, a, Good point. that? Um, I like to be able to trace my products right back to who they came from, where they came from, are they authentic? And there's stuff, if I can't do that, I'm not interested in buying or purchasing because I can't trace where it came from and the whole origin of it. How do I find the wholesaler uh, or, or the charity or whoever's got this pallet of stuff that's been donated or that's been bought by a wholesaler? There, there's several. There's Habitat for Humanity is all over, and there's a lot of companies that donate right to them. Um, there are um, stores like Ali's Bargain Outlet all over the country, and those they they will buy from wholesale or from charities and sell it right in there. And you can go scan in Ollie's. Just don't scan the Ollie's sticker. Um, there's bin stores which are really popular right now. And what they're doing is they're buying the pallets of um, Amazon merchandise. They're putting them out in bins, and then they sell everything in that bin for nine dollars one day, seven dollars the next day, and so on. Oh and yeah, 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 I've seen that. There's there's opportunities in there. Um, with me being in a warmer state like Texas, I go to the flea market and that's how I got connected with my certain, um, wholesalers that I buy from and I can source what charity they are buying from and who's donating to that charity. So I, I only will handle certain products as long as I can trace that origin. So there's, and, and with you in Fort Lauderdale, I mean, you know, that I did go shopping with my grandma down in Florida once, and we did not do well. But there are opportunities at those flea markets down there um, with these yeah, types a big of one. Uh, yeah, with these types of of wholesale and resale. You resellers. know what I used to do, Tom, back in the day. Um, I did um, IRS auctions. Uh, I, I covered them in, in, for news, but I also went to. I mean, I bought stuff there, and they're 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 way more publicized now. But you could buy, and and the things where you can make the most money were they would have like 
you know, um, an oven. I actually am looking at an oven. I bought it at an IRS auction right now. But anyway, but next to it is a pile of uh, a pallet of airplane parts. Now, no one's everyone can buy an oven, but no one knows anything about airplane parts. And that's where this thing costs 50 bucks and somebody's is worth twenty two hundred thousand dollars because they know what the hell it is. You know, you're an aircraft mechanic and these parts are already come by. So, you know, you, have you ever done that? The an auction like that? I haven't, but I know a wholesaler that just does the storage unit auctions, and he's bought, you know, whole mm-hmm. units of car parts and whole units of old computers and old newspapers. And, I mean, it's amazing what he can turn this for or $800 into in a day. I mean, it, it's a lot of work to get it out and figure out what it is, but there's a ton of money there uh, if you're willing to put in that work. Miranda, I think it's time for you to start doing this. I think it's time for you to stop writing personal finance and start going to to TJ Maxx and stores like that and and start and start arbitraging this stuff. What do you think? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think part of the the thing here too is is you know with the side hustle, like there's not one way to side hustle. Yeah. Right? A lot of people actually start, you know, freelance writing. Like most, a lot of the time, like I mean, obviously I do freelancing as like my full time gig. Uh, but a lot of people start with freelancing as a side hustle, and there are so many different side hustles that you can do, uh, and it's all about figuring out, you know, what works for you, what's, you know, the most, what makes the most sense for you. You know, Tom mentioned, you know, people do dog walking, um, you know, tutoring. My my mom actually retired, but now she's, like, tutoring. <laughs> so, like, but she did that while she was teaching as well. But there's just all sorts of things you can do for a side hustle, so really... It comes down to like, what can you do? How is it going to make money? And then what are you going to use that money for? Like, what is the goal for that money? How are you going to use it? I'm glad you mentioned that because in this time we have left, which actually isn't very much, let's talk about that. I mean, this is really about side hustles, but let's talk about real estate because that's how that's how Tom created his real estate empire, which now makes him one of the wealthiest men in Texas. Um, so mm-hmm. far so from, but is, how did how did you learn that? How did, how did you learn the real estate business? That started really early with my dad. We did have one rental property when I was growing up, and I used to go over and paint with him and collect rent with him on weekends, and it was just one of those that I learned that early on. And then I decided to get into it when I was 21, um, not because I wanted to build wealth, but because I didn't want to pay $375 in rent, which was what my rent was at the time. I was like, I need to figure this out. So I actually house-hacked without knowing I was house-hacking. I bought a duplex. It was a $90,000 duplex. My tax payment and insurance was $738, and I could rent the downstairs for $600, so that allowed me to live for $138, and that sounded a whole lot better than $375. I got a rude awakening the following summer when the furnace went out, or the air conditioner went out, and I had to pay $3,000 to replace it at the time. But that was the goal with getting into real estate was how can I make this generate income for me and that house was able to generate six hundred dollars in rent for me so that's how i i dove in and how many units do you have now i have 21 right now and i have number 22 under contract that's awesome dude now here's but here's a question if you've got that many real estate properties are you you're Mm -hmm. still doing this retail arbitrage right i was gonna say how are you tracking all this well very passively very passively it's, it's a safety blanket. And I can tell you, because I just ran my 2022 numbers, um, I put vacation mode on for four months. So anything that was listed could still sell, but I didn't list anything for over four months. And then I had a really expensive August where it was the first month that I was actually in the red. And then you can just see my little eBay graph go up in August because it just helps me feel better. So it's it's a safety blanket for me at this point. 
where, okay, I had a really expensive month. I know I can list a bunch of stuff on eBay and sell through it. And, um, it's just a, it's a side hustle. It's a, I can do as little or as much as I'd like with it. I can put it on vacation mode. And, um, that's kind of, I've done this off and on for, since I was in, you know, 20 years old and it's been over 20 years of off and on with this. And it's You must think it's fun too. I do enjoy it. I do love buying something for a dollar and selling it for $20. I mean, it's just a, a rush of, I made yeah. that dollar turn into 20. Cause I, I, but I would think that 20 units is enough to support you. I mean, this yeah. is, you, you, you quit your regular job, right? I think that's what we said in the intro. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've been it, out for it, a year now. So 20 units, especially if you're actively looking for new units, you know, which it sounds like you are, um, it seems like that would be a full-time job itself. You know, so you wouldn't have to do this thing where your max, your best year was 50 grand. Why not just do real estate where your best year could be 500 grand, you know? I, it's helping me continue to grow it. And I'm at that point where I'm continuing to grow it. So like right now I just ramped up my sales because I know that I have this one under contract and I know I'm going to need to put about 30 or 40,000 into it. So this is kind of a... I can continue to grow it, and this is how I can continue to grow it without taking out crazy loans and doing all yeah. kinds of that type of thing. When you got somebody who can take something that no, other people don't see, it's in front of everybody at TJ Maxx, but you're able to make a living out of it. That's really cool. I, I really respect and admire that. I, it, yeah. it, it's gotten me <laughs> to where I wanted to be, and you know what? If it takes me cleaning out a hoarder house or buying a crack house and doing the work myself, that's what I was willing to do oh, to get out right. of my traditional job. I forgot. We can't close this podcast until we hear about the crack house. I heard it about it last time I heard you on, on the air, but Miranda mentioned it. Let us let us explore what happened when you bought a crack house on eBay. What happened? <laughs> okay, so I was familiar with a zip code. I was not familiar with a street, and I started feverishly bidding. I wasn't local, I and this is on a Thursday, and... I think I started bidding at like 9 a.m. and then by 1 p.m. I already owned it, but I was texting friends that were local and I'm like, can you drive by this? And by the time my friend drove by it, she was going on lunch. I had already owned it, but she started sending me the pictures and she's like, no, there's fresh bullet holes in here. And there's, (laughs) there's, these are boarded up. She's like, I know you don't want to hear this, but I would just take the loss. And I ignored her. And then when I actually bought it, it was a $13,500 house. Uh, my dad went out and he's like, I would just lose the $13,500 and never look back. Um, and I ignored him and we actually did have, well, my contractor was working there. We did have a shooting in the backyard and, um, while he was there, while he was there, it was a contractor to go over there. I have a great contractor. That's part of why I can continue to build, but he was upstairs. He heard this bang and he didn't know that it was a gun until he went downstairs and, um, it was uh, it was an experience. It turned out good because I ended up turning my tenant into a homeowner. Um, he loved it. It was the nicest one on the block. I put a ton of money into it, um, but it shined amongst the rest. Yeah. And I bought the side lot from the city, which was a problem. They sold it to me for $150. They're like, if you'll mow the yard, we'll both sell it to you for $150. So it turned out okay, but it was like years of getting it to turn out okay. And that's part yeah. of the the struggle of it and why I say I'd never do another crack house again. Well, I, I'm glad that, well, first of all, I'm glad you'll never do the crack house again. Um, and I, and <laughs> I'm, I'm vowing here now, I'm not going to do my first one. <laughs> but, but anyway, it's good that you admit, 
we all make mistakes. And I, I too, have been in real estate for many years, and I've made mistakes. And in fact, I've made mistakes in virtually everything I've done, from getting married to owning this website. So you know, it's good to hear that everybody's not perfect when, when, the, when they go out to try to make a living. Uh, I am afraid we are out of time, though, folks. But you know what? We're never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find notes to lot. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, our online home is MoneyTalksNews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And of course, you need to see Tom at his website. That is TheFrugalGay.com. When did, when did, the next time I see you, Tom, I'm going to ask you what why you're called the Frugal Gay because I'm not called the I'm not called the uh, the, the smart sis. I mean, you know, why, why does it have to do with how you make money? Anyway, that's another topic for another time. One last thing, folks. If you appreciate what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. It takes you two seconds, but it can really help. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. I am Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. And I'm Aaron Freeman. This is where you're supposed to say your name, Tom. I'm Tom Brickman. Thanks, guys, for hanging out with us. We're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>